Today, the Pharisees in our study are going to ask Jesus, by what authority are you doing all these things? That's their way of saying, who made you boss? Now, now that's pretty significant. Jesus hasn't been asking permission to do anything. And, and, and in that day and time, people would get credentials. People would get permission to do certain things. They would quote rabbis. Jesus never quoted any rabbi. Every time Jesus taught, every time it came from him, it was from his own authority. And that drove the religious leaders crazy back then. We're in Luke chapter 20 today. There's only 24 chapters in the book of Luke. We're finally in chapter 20. If you're a guest with us today, we started this two Christmases ago in the life of Jesus. This goes all the way to this Easter, this coming Easter. Just looking, walking with Jesus, listening to what Jesus has to say. And it's been a phenomenal study for me personally as to what Jesus is doing in my life. Today is kind of one of those passages where I want to do a little teaching, a little more than what you're used to. I want to teach a little bit today. But stay with me. I think when we come out of this, you're really going to be happy with where this goes. We're in Luke chapter 20, starting with verse 1. Let's get started. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news. Uh oh, here we go. The chief priest. And the teachers of the law, and with the elders, <laughs> they came up to him. Boy, they've mounted quite a posse here, haven't they? Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? Now, remember, just a few days ago, he rode into this town as a king. That bothered him. Just a day ago, he was uh, cleansing the temple, overturning tables, driving out the money changers. That bothered them. And everything he's been doing at this point has just unnerved them. And their hostility toward him, it could not be higher. So they're asking, by what authority? Who told you you could do these things? How will Jesus respond? Verse 3, Jesus replied, well, I will also ask you a question. <laughs> he didn't answer. I'm going to ask you a question now. John's baptism, was it from heaven or human origin? Answer me, he said. They discussed it among themselves. They said, boy, if we say it's from heaven, then he's going to ask, why didn't you believe him? Why weren't you baptized? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. Oh, my goodness. Do you understand in Old Testament times you could be stoned for blasphemy? And it was blasphemy to tell a prophet who was sent to you by God that he was rejected, that you didn't accept him as a prophet. And if John the Baptist came from God, which Jesus says he did, and he was a prophet, they're afraid they'll be stoned if they say the wrong answer in front of this crowd. For what reason? For blasphemy. They did not accept John as a prophet when he was there. They did not accept his teaching. They were not baptized. In John, or in Luke chapter 7, verse 30, the Bible says, but the Pharisees and the experts of the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Boy, is Jesus reversing this on them. They thought they were coming to Jesus with a trap and suddenly they're in a trap. And he is turning up the screws on them in this. So they finally come up with an answer in verse 7. They answered, oh, we don't know. Does it sound like a teenager? Bonnie was leaning heavy into the boys. I have twin sons, and they were younger, and she was not happy with them for something they had done. And she was leaning. She said to Mark, why'd you do this? 
I don't know. She turned to my Why did you do this? I don't know. She looked at me, and before she could say anything, I went, I don't know. <laughs> and that's her answer to Jesus. I don't know. Boy, look at these next words. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. I think that is a very sad statement. Personally, I think that is Jesus saying that he has nothing more to say to them. I think this is his judgment on them for rejecting him. Neither will I say anything to you then. By what authority did you do these? I'm not answering you. Very powerful words. So Jesus takes this moment to go into a story. And these guys, they are going to immediately know this story is against them. Uh, it tells us that at the end of the passage, but don't, don't miss it. Right in the middle of this story, this parable, they know Jesus is talking about them. Verse 9. Jesus went to tell the people this story. A man planted a vineyard. He rented it to some farmers, and then he went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat the servant and sent him away empty-handed. All right, just real quick. I don't like to do this too often, but it's clear here. The, the man who planted the vineyard, the vineyard owner here is God. He's... This is a picture of God. The vineyard he planted is Israel. It, later on today, go and read Isaiah chapter 5. I, Isaiah chapter 5 identifies that this vineyard that God planted, it's beautifully worded, is Israel. All right, don't read it now. Read it on your own time. This is my time. The tenants, the tenants in this story are the Jewish leaders. They were responsible for teaching Israel, for leading Israel, for keeping Israel repentive and connected to God. That was there. They're the tenants. And the servants in this story, that God sent a servant, that's a prophet. And I'll show you that in a moment in Old Testament as well. Verse 11, he sent another servant to them, but that one also they beat and they treated shamefully and they sent him away empty-handed. He sent still a third and they wounded him. And threw him out. Beating and treating shamefully the prophets is what the Jewish leaders have always done. It's part of their history. Going way, way back. The prophet Isaiah was sawed in two. The prophet Jeremiah was stoned. The prophet Ezekiel was persecuted. The prophet Micah was punched in the face. The prophet Elijah had to run for his life because of death threats. Most of the prophets had shameful treatment. They were often abused. They were criticized. They were rejected. They were sometimes tortured and sometimes even martyred. Going all the way back to Moses, all the way to John the Baptist, this is often how God's people back then treated God's spokesmen. If they didn't like his words, they found a way to attack. How do we know that the servants in this story are the prophets? Jesus would have known the Old Testament very well. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 25 and 26. Look, from the time, from the time your ancestors left Egypt until now, this is God speaking, day after day, again and again, I sent you my servants. Uh oh, look at that, the prophets. But they did not listen to me or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and did more evil than their ancestors. You know the Pharisees in Jesus' day used to boast, we would have never done that to the prophets. Our ancestors did that, we know, but we would have never done that. 
Jesus says, oh, yes, you would have. And oh, yes, you are. And oh, yes, you will. Yeah. Jesus said, I, I might not be sending you prophets, but I'm sending you preachers. And you will mistreat them as well. And sure enough, Acts chapter 7, Stephen, who preaches this amazing sermon elevating Jesus, is stoned for it. This owner who keeps sending these servants one right after another, why does he keep doing that? If I would have sent a servant after the first servant would have been mistreated, I'd have wiped those tenants out. But not this owner. He's so patient. He so wants to reach this, these guys. Verse 13, Jesus goes back into the story. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him, but, oh, when the, sen when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him. Then this inheritance will be ours. After sending all those servants, this landowner sends his own son. This is the greatest amount of grace you can possibly imagine. They rejected every servant I sent. I will send my son to them. Jesus is telling this story to these religious leaders and to the crowd. Verse 13. Oh, but they threw that son out of the vineyard and they killed him. This is Jesus' question then. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Well, he will come. He will kill those tenants. He will give the vineyard to others. And when the people heard this, they said, God forbid. They all recognized this. They knew they were the vineyard in this story. The hearer of this story should be outraged. Anyone who's tuned into this story for just a moment and really thinks about this owner, you should think this is absolutely criminal behavior that they would keep sending servant, 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 and then send his own son and all of them would be mistreated or killed criminal and you'd probably sit there and say this is exactly what the owner should do he should wipe them out and jesus says the day is coming when that will happen before we get there though jesus i think tries one more time to identify himself verse 17 jesus looks directly at them i don't think that's a crowd by the way i think that's the religious leaders and he asked then what is the meaning of that which is written the stone the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Jesus moves from a, from a vineyard now to a stone building all of a sudden. He's talking about a cornerstone. And the same is true today as it was back then in building. The cornerstone had to be perfect. It had to be plain perfectly on top. It had to be plain perfectly on bottom. It had to be perfectly square. It had to be positioned perfectly. It had to be at just the perfect angles. If you wanted to build something really impressive, everything started with that cornerstone. It had to be perfect. And Jesus is identifying himself that he is that perfect cornerstone, which, by the way, goes back to the Old Testament, Psalm 118. And when people, why am I yelling at you? I'm not mad at you. I'm just intense. When, when people reject Jesus, it's as if they're saying, you're not perfect enough for us. And we're looking for somebody else. 
what does this mean about the cornerstone? Everyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. For years, preachers preach that if we throw ourselves on Jesus, it, it breaks us, it, it makes us into something new, but that's far better than the stone falling on us, which would crush us. I don't think that's what this is. Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter if the stone falls on you or if you throw yourself on the stone. What are these leaders getting close to doing? Throwing themselves on Jesus, arresting him and killing him. And I think it's Jesus' way of saying, that too will destroy you. You think killing me is going to get you this great inheritance. It ultimately destroys you. Listen to me. For, for all the world who doesn't understand this, but you should, a collision with Jesus will break you. That's why it's so much better to accept the cornerstone, to make it the corner of your life, to make it the corner of your building. What are you trying to build right now? You're trying to build a life. It would be so much better for you to build your life on that cornerstone, which is perfect, rather than to have that stone fall on you one day. Well, did these leaders get it? You bet they did. Verse 19, the teachers of the law, the chief priests, looked for a way to arrest Jesus immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the people. <laughs> Do you know how important that is? <laughs> Jesus was right out in the open day after day. They could have arrested him anytime they wanted. But they were afraid of the people. The people loved Jesus. People loved listening to him. Why? Because he spoke with so much authority. And so when will they come to arrest Jesus? We're going to be here in just a few weeks. At night. Yeah, they think they have all this authority, these religious leaders, but actually they have no authority to move on him. And they're going to have to be sneaky and sly. They're going to have to use a traitor to pull it off, a betrayal. They're the ones with no authority. And when they heard this story, instead of being convicted, instead of repenting, they became even more hostile to Jesus. They refused to accept his authority. Now that comes back to you and I. How about you? Is Jesus the authority in your heart or isn't he? Who sits on the throne of your heart? You? We know the word authority. We face it all the time. If you're a young person here, you face it in the home with your parents. It's God given to them by, uh, God given by God that they have an authority. One day you'll have authority. In our government, our government has authority over us. Our workplaces have authority over us. Everyone in this room, you might have some authority. You might be under someone's authority. That's usually the case. But it's different when it comes to Jesus. Are you ready? Are you still with me? Matthew 28, 18. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Anytime he taught, oh my goodness, they were amazed at his teaching. Because what? His words had authority. All the people were amazed. They said to each other, what words are these? With authority and power? He gives orders over impure spirits and they come out? Luke chapter 5, verse 24. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to what? To forgive sins. 
So he said to the paralytic man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. And the the man did. God has given his son authority to judge. And then a a passage, oh my goodness, I hope, if, if if you're the kind to mark great passages, I hope this one gets marked sometime this week. John 10, 18. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and, oh, look at that authority to take it up again and that's a resurrection nobody matches the authority of jesus christ and they're asking by what authority do you do all these things he's been saying it from the beginning this marks jesus final assault on these religious leaders and they felt it jesus often went straight at these guys he went after their giving and he went after their fasting He went after their praying, and he went after their sacrificing. He went after their self-righteousness, and he went after their hypocrisy. And the entire time, he's not quoting someone else. He's just giving it to them, not quoting any rabbi. He didn't seek permission from the Sanhedrin. He didn't get a letter from the Pharisees. He didn't ask the high priest. He's not ordained. He just rode into that city. He drove out those money changers. And he never asked one person if it was okay. Jesus flexes his authority when he casts out demons. Jesus flexes his authority when he heals lepers. Jesus flexes his authority when he raised people from the dead. All of that done on whose authority? His own. They didn't keep him from going where he wanted to go. They didn't keep him from doing what he wanted to do. They didn't keep him from saying what he wanted to say. Jesus has all authority until it comes to your heart. That's your call. All these moments with Jesus are going to cause the religious leaders to have a fire grow in them that will literally consume their souls they will explode with hostility toward jesus and then they will kill the very son of god not everybody can see jesus for who he is how about you and me come on is there a chance that jesus wants to be the authority in my heart but i am I have a close second that's crowding him out. There's a great story. Lots of preachers have told this story. I'm going to tell it too. Um, I was going to look it up to see if it's a true story or not, but some stories are just too good to check out, so I didn't. And uh, this is a story of Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth, who loved yacht racing. You might know the story. (laughs) She... England was going to host this great big yacht race, and the British yacht was the favored ship. And all these ships from all these other countries came. They weren't expecting the Americans at first, but even if the Americans came, the British ship would still be the favored ship. And sure enough, the Americans showed up, and everybody went, oh, here we go. And so the gun went off, and all these yachts took off to open water, and they eventually went out and over the horizon. Queen Elizabeth was so excited, she grabbed a servant and uh, she went up on this ledge on this uh, cliff so that she'd have an elevated view of the horizon. And then she told her, 
uh, servant through with a long, one of those old-fashioned telescopes to keep an eye on the horizon. She wanted to know what ship was coming in first, and, and she kept asking, do you see anything, do you see anything? And finally the servant announced, I see a mast. And she goes, well, which ship is it? And he just kept peering through that telescope and peering, and she goes, what, who is it? Is it our ship? And finally, after a long time, the servant turned to the queen, and he said, Mom, I'm sorry. He said, it's the American ship. She, oh. And then she said, well, who's in second? So he went back to the telescope. He was watching, watching. And she asked a second time. She asked a third time. Finally, he turned to her and he said, Mom, there is no second. The American ship was so far out in, in the front that you couldn't even see the other ships. USA, USA. When it comes to Jesus, there is no second. Oh, there can be in your heart, but there really isn't. Not in this world, not in heaven or on earth. There is no second. There's just him. He's the ultimate authority. You've never known anyone like him. There is no one with more love. There is no one more forgiving. There's no one more tender. There's no one more compassionate, no one more comforting, no one more kingly, no one with more authority. There's no one greater, no one higher, no one more powerful, no one more supreme than Jesus Christ. And nobody will ever take that away from him. Our hearts, on the other hand, can reject that. Or just maybe your heart would accept it today. 